Welcome to episode 66. Today, Dr. Monica Lara joins us to talk about what school leaders need to know about educating language learners. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. I heard Oprah say this sentence once at the end of her Super Soul podcast. She said, that was a closer walk with God. A closer walk with God is exactly how I felt after finishing this conversation with Dr. Monica Lara. I initially thought that we were going to talk about what administrators need to know about educating language learners. But in truth, it was a really a conversation that really re-inspired me and cemented my commitment to serving language learners. If you're not a principal or admin, don't leave because the message that Dr. Lara has for them is the same one she has for teachers, who she calls school leaders as well. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so excited to introduce Dr. Monica Lara, the Senior Educational Consultant for Bilingualism and Biliteracy at Seidlitz Education. I have known Seidlitz and I've known uh, Dr. Lara for many years now. And every time I talk to someone from Seidlitz team, they always mention Dr. Lara and they always say in a glowing way, she's like, she is so fiery and passionate. I'm like, yes. And we just recorded, we just kind of started 10 minutes ago talking and the second Dr. Lara came on, I was like, I need you. I should have started the interview 20 minutes ago because everything you're saying is so exciting and so, and I can see the passion um, come out of you. So welcome Dr. Lara and thank you for your work and honoring us with your time. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to finally meet you. I've also heard a lot about you, Tan. And um, you know, in the way that I, deal with all the young people, I would tell you, hi, mijito, how are you? Because that's just the way I am. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to share with you um, some of the experiences that I have, I have had working at the state level as a teacher and also with silence education. And I'm excited to share um, how this book came about. Yes. Before we get to the book, which is so needed for school leaders, can you talk us, uh, tell us about uh, your path to, to this work? Because both you and I are immigrants. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, uh, I was born and raised in Mexico City. Never thought that I was going to come to America. But I came to the United States 40 years ago. Uh, but I was undocumented. I came and I had no uh, citizenship. I went to school, I did not speak English as my first language. So I was like trapped in a body and I could not communicate, but I always wanted to be a teacher. 
So I became a teacher. I've always been a good student. So I finished my certification, actually, and I wanted to work in the public school system, but the law did not allow anyone who was not a citizen to teach in the public school. So that broke my heart. I had all the requirements. I had passed my assessments, but I could not apply for certification. So I ended up working at a Catholic school and it wasn't until the law changed and I was able to, you know, uh, get my papers that I finally ended up working in uh, the public school system. I have been an elementary teacher, a middle school teacher. Then I became an administrator. I thought I wanted to change the world, but I realized that changing the world is really working with children, not just at the administrator's level. Uh, So I went back and I became a bilingual uh, reading specialist. And then I had the privilege of working at the state level. I worked at the state agency, um, a regional agency, and I had a lot of connections with the Texas Education Agency. And uh, during the work at, you know, with the state, um, I met John Silitz and uh, I ended up working for Silitz Education because yes, laws, rules, regulations, Uh, are very important, but I wanted to be back working with teachers. Teachers are in the trenches, working day in and day out with students. And I really needed to reconnect with my roots. What it is to be in a classroom where you don't speak the language. What are the needs of a student? And yes, you can be an immigrant, you can be an undocumented immigrant and get a PhD. And so I want, my goal is to inspire those teachers, to inspire those students and look at their uh, biliteracy or their first language as an asset and not as a problem to be solved. There's no problem if you speak another language, but there's still so much educating that we need to, to do. Uh, in schools and day in and day out, I see teachers working with students. And if I had to give the first advice to teachers and, and administrators and leaders is have high expectations for kids. Yes. Not speaking English as your first language is not a problem to be solved. It's something that you have to embrace and learn from it. I really believe that we reject what we don't know. So when you don't know the language, when you don't know the culture, you tend to reject it. So uh, I think we need to educate ourselves. We need to educate each other. And we need to embrace this diverse group of students that only enhance the teaching that we're doing. They enhance our classrooms. And we learn so much from each other. So that's why I ended up really working with, uh, going back and working with teachers and being back in classrooms. So that's, that's pretty much in my, in a nutshell, my story. So you're going to hear me speak. Yes, I still have an accent. My accent does not go away when you become an American citizen, but I'm proud of it. And that's what I tell students, be proud of the way you speak, be proud of who you are, your background. That's what makes you who you are. And you know, one of the first things that I try to begin with is learn to pronounce the names of kids. Learn to, you know, even if you say it wrong, ask them, is this the way you pronounce your name? And 
don't change their names just because you cannot pronounce it. So that's one of the things that, you know, I work with teachers and um, I think we're, we're advancing. I think teachers do the best they, they can with what they have, but this is the beauty of our work. We see transformation right in front of our eyes. And people many times ask me, how do you make a difference? And I tell them one teacher at a time. That's the way we make a difference. So here I am, Tan, just sharing my story. This is who I am. Um, my degrees don't make me better. I am just another immigrant who was successful and learned English. And I'm able to navigate and be a productive citizen because yes, I'm an American citizen. Who's bicultural, who's biliterate, who's by, uh, who's in many ways merging both cultures, merging your, your, your uh, Latinx culture and merging your American culture and saying, look, we, th these things can coexist. Absolutely. Right. You, you gave me chills when you said, uh, when we want to change the world, we work with children. Right? And then you said, well, how do we make a change with that? How we, we work with one teacher at a time, right? And that's why your book, you, and the initial book was called um, ELs in Texas. Oh, what, what school leaders need, oh, well, sorry. Your initial book was called ELs in Texas, what uh, administrators need, but you changed it afterwards. The second edition, what school leaders need. Would you talk about that title? Sure, yes. Uh in 2014, we came up with, with the idea of writing this book. One of the reasons why we wrote this book is that administrators have a lot, uh, you know, a lot of time in their hands to process information and learning, uh, but there's limited amount of time that they have to, to learn all of this information. So uh, first we decided to call it ELLs in Texas, what administrators need to know, but Administrators, when we think of administrators, we think of the principal or the assistant principal. When we change it to the word leaders, school leaders, you're bringing in other experts yes. that are going to be working hand in hand with the principal or the assistant principal. That may be uh, the instructional coaches. That may be uh, the lead teachers, uh, educators who are working directly with kids who may be more knowledgeable Yes. because that's their area of expertise. That's what they went to school to do. So in working with administrators as a community of, of leaders, school leaders, that brings them in, that ties the title very nicely. That brings them in uh, to be part of these books. So it's not, they're not working in silos. They're not working in isolation. They're working as a team and that's why the book, of course, changed from ELLs uh, to ELs in Texas, what school leaders need to know because administrators and other uh, educators are leaders supporting our students. So that's one of the reasons why we changed the title of the book. Can you give us an example of a school that you saw that they, they changed their culture around, around like initially their, maybe their culture uh, around language learners was a, at a deficit model, and then they changed at, at the school leadership level. Can you tell us about a school that did that or a district, an example? Well, there, there's a district in the Valley. The Valley is close to the border 
of uh, Brownsville, close to Brownsville, uh, Texas. And uh, they definitely uh, looked at the overall performance of students. And uh, they decided that everybody had to be in the mix. First, teachers were working in isolation directly with kids. Yes, they wanted the performance of students to be better, uh, but they called us and the, uh, they wanted us to go and make a difference. And our philosophy at Silas Education is we in inspire and inform, but we don't transform. The transformation happens from within. Yes. The transformation is going to happen when high expectations are present, where every single individual in the school district is involved, from the superintendent to the central office educators or administrators to campus administrators to instructional coaches and teachers. So that specific district uh, in the Valley was very instrumental in uh, really making a change. So we've been working with this district and actually it's uh, Harlingen ISD. We've been working with them for um, a number of years already. And one of the conversations that we had with them is if school leaders are not involved, very little information, very little transformation is gonna happen in the classroom because we need to have high expectations and we if we uh, if, if we expect we need to inspect but if we don't know what best practice is in the classroom it's going to be very difficult for us to really see the change uh, we cannot just expect that teachers are going to do it without us knowing what best practices look like in the classroom but it's not only ex ex inspecting what they're doing, but it's supporting them. What do you need? When I work with teachers uh, and administrators, the conversation is your bilingual or uh, sheltered instruction teachers instruction is not gonna look like the English only instruction. You're never going to be on the same page. There's a lot of support that is needed to really get to that second language acquisition, to really get that uh, shelter instruction happening with students. So that district was really, really uh, receptive to the information that we gave them and all the, the administrators got involved from campus administrators to central office administrators. And uh, even the lens that they used when they were walking in the classrooms changed it's now okay if kids use their primary language when they're negotiating to get to the English. That understanding of kids need to use the primary language to negotiate, even though the outcome and the expectation is in English, there's nothing wrong with them using their primary language. Of course, in that district, um, the, the primary language is mainly Spanish. It's very close to the border. But I think one of the things that we're starting to realize with this book and the information we're giving is you need to get to know your community. You need to get to know your students because the majority of students that we have that are English learners in classrooms are not immigrants. Many of them are born and raised in their attendance zone, but they just happen to be from immigrant families and the families use the primary language. So we are understanding that 
Yes, we want parents to speak to their students in their primary language. Why are we going to expect parents to use a language they don't know? Right. They can teach them higher order thinking. They can teach them a wide variety of informal and formal language. They have a linguistic repertoire that they can give to their students, their kids, and they're going to bring that to schools. And all of that has been very well understood with uh, this district that we've been working. So it's not, not only expecting high, you know, uh, achievement on assessment. Yes, that's what we want. Yes, that's a necessary evil in every state. We're testing kids and yes, that's the outcome, but we cannot have that as an outcome if we don't structure and um, create spaces where we have rigorous instruction with high expectations and all best practices in place on a day-to-day -day basis. Like John Seidlitz says, it's not, so, it's not how many years you're in a program, it's how many language learning opportunities you're having on a daily basis where you're navigating and connecting from your primary language to the second language and getting to higher level levels of English proficiency. And also having rigorous bilingual dual language programs because the better your primary language, the better you're going to learn a second language. So there's a lot of transformation that is happening when we're working with teachers and with administrators. And when you have a district that really believes and puts this into practice, success starts happening. And that's what we're seeing in this district. We're, we're already seeing that the performance of students is um, glowing. Um, as we're looking at the assessment, the assessment takes care of itself. Once you take care of linguistic domains and um, primary language development and connected to second language, and it, will, it goes hand in hand. So we're very excited to see that in some districts and you know, there's numerous other districts we're, we're working uh, in where we see that transformation happening. I just love what you shared with about John. You said it's not about how many years you're in a program, it's how many language learning opportunities you have to use language, right? Absolutely. And so when we say language opportunities, we're not saying English opportunities, we're saying all languages, right? How can yes. you use your home language to learn? How can you use your home language to communicate, to be understood, to be included? Sure, right? absolutely. How do we see, how can we have school leaders help uh, start that transformation that you were talking about about the school district? Well, one of the first things that uh, we want them to do, and we have a section in the book called Family and Community Outreach. Get to know your population of students. Um, way back, especially being in Texas, we have the idea that all our second language learners are Spanish speakers. Yes. And that's no longer the case. Demographics have changed. Yes, we have about 20% uh, ELs representing the total population of students. And yes, our majority of second language learners are Spanish speakers, but we have over 120 languages represented in the state of Texas, including Vietnamese. That's Vietnamese after Spanish, is the second largest spoken language in Texas. Then we have Arabic, we have Urdu, 
we have Mandarin, and we have Burmese. So we need, as a school leader, you need to know who are your clients, meaning your students, who are the families around you, what is the population that you have in your schools, are they immigrants, are they recent immigrants, you know, do we have those kids that have come in the caravans, uh, escaping violence, um, so are they the ones that are coming from Venezuela, Central America? They're going to come with a very strong language, primary language. Now, do we have students that are born and raised in our attendance zones that have never even gone to another country? Uh, yes, the parents were immigrants or grandparents, but they have no allegiance to another country. They're American citizens, whether they have uh, documentation or not, they have been born and raised in Texas. They may speak informal Spanish and informal English. So they're going to need the support in both languages. Right. Or do we have kids that, you know, depending on the program that they're offering in a school, uh, do they go from, no, I don't want bilingual, then yes, I want bilingual because of the strength of the program. So one of the first things that we recommend to administrators or to school leaders is know your community. Yes. Um, because if you don't know the community of students, then you don't know how to service them. So that's one of the things that is going to be really, really important. And not every Spanish speaker is Mexican. That's another misconception. You know, we want to lump them. We want to label you know, we're in the, in the country of labeling everything. Yes. So we want to label all kids who speak Spanish or Mexican. No, there are so many Spanishes that are spoken. You have people from South America, from Central America, from the Caribbean, from Spain, from Texas. So just the same way that you have different Englishes, you know, people from New York are not going to speak the same as people from Texas, as people from England. So there's many different ways of speaking the same language. So understanding that in some areas, your Spanish speaking population is not going to be from Mexico. To me, it's like an insult if you think, oh, you speak Spanish, you're from Mexico. And the traditions are different, not because our Spanish speakers uh, in the school are from Texas. They're going to know traditions like Las Posadas or things that we do in Mexico that are no longer practiced here. So I think that's one of the main things, get to know your community. And that's why this book does a very nice job uh, looking at family community outreach. Uh, how do you do community and family engagement? What are some of the things that, that uh, you can do to really connect to families? So that's, even though it's, it's one of the last chapters, I really like that because it should be the beginning of knowing what is the program that you're going to have in your school? Uh, and I'm going to have this program just because it's a right. It's not a privilege. They have the right to have the best program because we are going to give them something with, rig on, uh, with rigor, not, not just, you know, oh, you know, they're privileged and that's why. No, it's their right and it's our responsibility to provide them with that excellent program no pobrecito syndrome exactly no pobrecito syndrome you talked about um so knowing your community as the first step and i think as a teacher i'm not an administrator but as 
a teacher. That's what I think about first. I want to know my students. But you're a leader. Don't yeah, forget. Exactly. And so as a teacher, I have to know where my students are so I can shape my instruction to meet them. It's very similar to school leaders. Uh, school leaders need to know who they're serving, the community of students, so that they can serve them uh, in a more, most effective way. Just the parallel is clear. What we do in classrooms are the same thing with what administrators need to do in their districts. What's the next thing we should do after knowing our community? Well, of course, uh, being here in the United States, there's requirements. There are requirements that we have to meet. But I always tell uh, administrators and teachers, uh, meeting the requirements on paper helps you to be in compliance, but not necessarily effective. Yes. So uh, I do a lot of program reviews. I go to different districts and they ask me to do a program review. And without going into classrooms, I mean, you know, I can read a document, I can read their written plan, and I can tell you, wow, this is stellar. But having it on paper does not mean that you're effective. So that's one of the pieces that is really, really important. Being in compliance does not mean to be effective. So, of course, in the book, we have required EL programs because in Texas, we are blessed that the law still requires to have specific programs if you have a number of students that are second language learners. So they have to have the program. So the book does a very good job at simplifying the language because right. the law is very convoluted. It's very cumbersome. And the resource is a comprehensible resource that explains the policy and the law and gives guidance to leaders uh, at all levels of experience. So you have, you don't have to be, you know, totally naive or a novice uh, to benefit from the book because you're gonna have in this resource information at your fingertips to reference the law, to reference policy. So we have policy for uh, local, for state and the federal law, okay. you know, Title III, ESSA and uh, all of that. And so it's a collection of current and relevant statutes, codes and guidance. So the first thing, you know, once they know the community they're gonna know or have to know what is required. If I have 20 students or more that's on one grade level that speak the same language, I am um, expected as a school district to offer a bilingual program. Yes. Of course, we have four different bilingual programs, a couple that are subtractive in nature, and then a couple that are additive in nature. So it's not I'm gonna give you a little bit of your own language, but the goal is English. And that's when you have early exit or late exit, when you have a regular bilingual program, that's the goal. The goal is, okay, so let me just give you enough so you can transfer to English. Well, there's no transferring to anything. Yes, that's my It's adding to what you have, and I am going to give you more of what you have. Instead of just getting rid of what you have, and then I give you like the gift, speaking English. <laughs> well, you know, keeping you as a bilingual person is gonna be the gift. I am going to provide you with that opportunity to be bilingual, bicultural, biliterate. Yes. So yes, do I want to have 
a bilingual program uh, that is of so subtractive in nature, or do I want an additive one, which is a dual language program, where I want you to keep your biliteracy, keep your bilingualism, and you know become bicultural, really understanding both. And of course, now we have the English speakers that want to be part of it. You know, parents who have understood what globalization is all about, parents who have understood the importance of uh, being bilingual, bicultural, and biliterate. Now we have the two-way dual language programs. But in some districts, uh, they don't have the resources. They don't have, when I say resources, teachers. Teachers uh, who are, you know, uh, bilingual, bicultural, biliterate, who can be part of the program, there's not a lot. I mean, you would think that you're producing a lot of bilingual teachers, but there's uh, a lack of teachers. Uh, and um, so they need to, to establish a program and determine goals, the design of the program, required uh, staffing and, and all of that. So that's one of the pieces. And then looking at how do you really make that happen? What is the funding that you're gonna get? What is, you know, uh, we have committees in Texas that are called the ELPA committees, the Language Proficiency Assessment uh, uh, Committees. And uh, we want to establish that. We wanna make sure that we have an entry and an exit. Um, so what are the required accommodations? So all of that can be done and written on paper. Well, when the rubber meets the road is what is the curriculum and instruction going to look like? You know, what is the support that you want to provide to teachers to really maintain that level of rigor and excellence right. with a program? Yeah. We cannot just, you know, sometimes we think, oh, if you just give them an hour, uh, one day of training, they're going to be fine. Well, you never do that with other content areas. Right. And, you know, with secondary teachers who have been trained on content areas, I always say you, you would never send an ELA teacher to a workshop for math to start teaching algebra on Monday. Right. You know, you need ongoing support. So we cannot expect that secondary teachers who have been teaching math, science, social studies with a six hour training, they're going to be language experts they need support consistently so uh, so that's that's another piece that when we're looking at the curriculum the instruction and we're looking at best practices is not just um, leaving it up to teachers to figure out how to do it we really need to support teachers with with good staff development where we're uh, with a lot of support, so they're able to support students on a daily basis. You talked about uh, professional learning and then what, what did that look like? Um, can you talk about that a little bit more? Like what, how can, teach, how can school leaders support teachers to learn more professionally? Well, I think that one of the ways that we're really transforming um, that understanding is really helping administrators, school leaders understand that the better way to equip teachers is on the job. Yes. Uh, we have done, you know, 
the buzz is everybody needs to learn the English language proficiency standards. Every need, everybody needs to, to do it. So let's put, let's pack in a room. Well, pre-COVID, let's pack in a room, 300 teachers, give them a six hours and it's done. Right. We have done, we have uh, finished, we're finished. Right. The reality that. is that with uh, uh, professional learning communities and doing smaller groups and looking at daily instruction, lesson plans and supporting them as they go has been more productive. It's not just as, you know, uh, sit and get, that's another thing. We want to model what we preach. You cannot just be lecturing to teachers for six hours and expect them to have language rich interactive classrooms. Okay. So during trainings, and we believe that doing smaller segments, especially with secondary teachers is much more productive than a six hour training. Right. Um, it's much better if you are working with their own lesson plans, their own students, their own instruction, and you are supporting them in the classroom, doing a lot of coaching. We're doing a lot of coaching that it has been much more effective. Mm -hmm. A coach is someone who is on your side. A coach is not someone who's going to go and inspect and evaluate you. Right. And a lot of teachers are uh, really understanding what that's looking like, and they're they're welcoming it. Uh, we we approach it in a way that we are there to support them. I do a lot of coaching, a lot of in-classroom observations, but let's say, for example, that I go into a classroom and I sit in the classroom for about 10 minutes and then the teachers ask me right away, we have this tendency of wanting to know what we did wrong. And coaching is different. Coaching is, let's look at what you're doing right. So they come and they sit with me and they ask me, what did I do wrong? And my response is, I don't know. I've only been in your classroom for 10 minutes. Let's talk about what are some of your strengths and what are some of your goals and how are we going to support you to meet that goal? You know what you're not doing right much better than I could tell you because I don't live in your classroom. Teachers want to quantify many times. So, you know, we support a lot of language uh, learning opportunities with structured conversations. So they come and they say, well, how many sentence stems do I need? Uh, my response is, I don't know. You are the expert. You're the one who knows your students. So you know that it's important to provide them with accountable conversations, giving them that structure so they're able to participate in a low risk environment. So my question to you is, how many do you think they need? What are some of the questions that you're gonna ask? So as we do that staff development on the job, that we support teachers on a daily basis, ongoing throughout the year, we really see transformation. Because when you have a group of 100 teachers, you hope that they're gonna do something, but you don't have any evidence. But when I'm working with teachers, cohorts of teachers, uh, in the fall, in the spring, at the end of the year, my goal is, who is doing stellar work? If they, I tell teachers this, if you succeed, I have succeeded as a coach. Yes. If you fail, I have failed as a coach. So I am not gonna let you fail because I don't wanna be a failure as a coach. Right. So at the end of the year, I can tell you by name, who is doing what and who can be a model in your school for other teachers.
So that's the beauty of this coaching that we're doing. That's how we're supporting teachers. And that's one of the pieces in the book. We talk about instruction. We talk about what does it look like when you are supporting your students uh, by supporting your, your teachers. And so as this curriculum and instruction, the instruction part is very, very strong. Then assessment and accountability is going to take care of itself. You know, the better, you know, second language acquisition is directly related to academic achievement. Right. The better your, your language, primary language and second language, the better your academic achievement. You know, or a CISA foundation to literacy. Yes. The better you speak, the better you can listen and speak, the better you're going to read and you write. So that oracy has to be developed. It, you know, I, I remember reading uh, an article that Dr. Wynne Wright once wrote, and the title of the article was Let Them Speak. Oof. You know, back then we used to think a good classroom is a quiet classroom. On the contrary, yeah. a good classroom is where you hear kids arguing, you know, evaluating with their own uh, opinions, uh, debating, um, stating points of view, where they are able to describe, they're able to summarize, they're able to compare, but we provide them with that linguistic support. So the better they communicate orally, the better they're gonna do with reading and writing. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I got carried away a little bit. <laughs> no, you did. No, because you were talking about professional learning and you there, there's another parallel here. When we work with coaches, when coaches work with their teachers, they don't look for what's wrong. Just like when we work with our kids, we don't look for what's wrong. We look for what's right and we build on that. Right. And Absolutely. That's the Again, I'm like, yes, this is so amazing. Would you talk about the instruction part? Um, actually, I, I kind of want you to go back and talk about the programming part. There are like deficit model programs and there are like asset model programs. So I would love for you to talk about uh, programs that uh, and how schools can support that program. Sure. So in Texas, like I said, we have four different models for bilingual education. So we have uh, the transition bilingual early exit, and we have the transition bilingual late exit. So basically the goals of those programs, even though they include the primary language for instruction, uh, the goal is to get to the reclassification uh, so they can transition to all English instruction. And so that's, that's where we, what we have had for many, many years, but also and now we have the dual language immersion programs one way and two way. So you have the one way where you only have Spanish speakers or Vietnamese speakers, you know, the speakers, so that minority language. Right. And the goal is for, you know, to be to become biliterate. The academic subjects are taught in both languages. Um, and uh, the goal is full bilingualism, biliteracy and cross-cultural awareness. You know, that's the emphasis. And uh, you want them to be in the program uh, about six years. Um, and so in some districts, you have the dual language one way, but we also have the dual language two way, which is the one that is uh, very popular now, because like I mentioned earlier, 
a lot of English speaking families want their kids to be bilingual, bicultural and biliterate because of globalization and the importance of navigating in two worlds. And I have been part of a lot of those programs and it's very interesting, not a long time ago, pre-COVID when I was in a classroom, it was middle school. This, this specific district already carries their dual language program all the way to high school. And I was working with two um, English speakers uh, or Anglo students who were in a bilingual program and spoke very good Spanish. And they were siblings. And they were, and I said, how do you use Spanish in your, you know, in your daily life? And they said, well, we talk to each other and our parents don't understand. <gasps> and so uh, we can use Spanish in our home and our parents don't know what we're talking about. So they're even now finding other advantages, you know, uh, of speaking that other language. But here's, you know, where we're talking about the dual language immersion two-way, where you have students that are Spanish speakers and students that are English speakers in the program. And like I mentioned, in this particular district, uh, they already have the program all the way to high school. Right. So kids are, the academic subjects are taught in both languages, uh, at least you know, um, half of the instruction is delivered in the primary language. And uh, of course, the goal again is bilingualism, biliteracy and cross-cultural awareness. That's the emphasis. And uh, the exit does not happen in less than six years. They want the kids to be in the program. And of course, when they say exit, it's like the reclassification. If you're an English, a Spanish speaker, um, at first, you're, of course, you know, we don't want to use the limited English proficient, which it's a term that is so subtractive in nature, um, because that's a different topic, but you're not limited just because you don't speak another language, but right. that's the way it's still in law. Right. And now it's a little better English learners, but like you and I have agreed, you know, multi-language learners should be the, the label, but we still, you know, when I become a legislator, Tan, maybe I can make that happen. Yeah, uh, but but with, with these programs that are uh, additive in nature, of course, you have several components. You know, we have to have content and language objectives established. We have to have the materials. It's not just, oh, you're in a bilingual program. Let's just scan the book because we don't have Spanish, you know, you know, high quality materials. Uh, they, they do a very good job at providing them with high quality materials and high quality teachers. Right. And the training continues because I support dual language programs, of course, all the way. Uh, I am saddened to think that our regular programs that were offered many years ago did not have the quality maybe because families didn't know how to demand the quality. They were very compliant. Yes. They were, si maestra, lo que usted quiera, you know, yes, teacher, whatever you want. Uh, and they would even give you permission to, you know, like we say, use the chancla to hit the kid. But of course, you know, we're not going to do that. Um, but now all of a sudden we have uh, the English speaking families, who know how to demand. Now we have to have quality programs. Yes. Uh, I am very happy that we have the English speaking counterparts because that enhances the communication. The English speaking kids teach English to the, their P1 
peers and the Spanish speaking kids teach Spanish to their peers. But it's also, also almost like the lens has shifted a little bit because now we have parents that demand the program has to be of quality. Oh, what happened to our bilingual kids, the bilingual parents that did not demand? So I think when I work with schools, when I do the uh, program evaluations, I honor what they have, but let's just have the best quality of what you're able to have. If you have a, a, a bilingual program uh, that is subtractive in nature, let's have high quality materials. Let's do the best we can with the Spanish that we are providing for kids. And let's instill in kids the pride of being a bilingual kid of a person of a diverse family, your roots, your, um, your upbringing has to be valued, not to be ashamed. I remember when I was a bilingual teacher, many kids would say, Miss, look, I speak English. I don't want to be in this program anymore. And it took a little bit of a time to really uh, tell them um, how proud I was of them for being bilingual. Then the English speaking kids wanted to be in my classroom. I said, sorry, there's no room uh, because the program has been developed for English learners and the, the rest is a bonus. So if we are able to grow these kids, bilingual, bicultural, biliterate, we're doing a service to our community. So uh, now, of course, in um, when we have students that speak languages other than Spanish, we also have to have a language uh, uh, a program of quality, yes. which is a shelter program. Elementary school teachers have the advantage of having the kids all day long in the majority of the cases. They departmentalize a little bit in upper grades, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, if that's part of your elementary. So, but, but it's a little more, more sheltered in nature just because of what elementary school teachers do. They don't have 120 students like a secondary teacher. However, when you go to a secondary um, program, which is gonna be more of a, um, an ESL type of program, you may have an ESL program or uh, a shelter program. Uh, you know, we, we call it in Texas an ESL pullout or an ESL content base which the ESL pull-up can be your English language arts program, uh, your ESOL program. Uh, but then when you talk about content-based is when you have an English language arts, a math, a science, social studies, and you want, now in Texas, they're requiring uh, the certification, which is good. But you know that being a good taste taker does not make you a language expert. So in Texas, you don't have to take courses, really. You, you can just go and take a test. And I say, bling, you are automatically inspired to be a language expert. No, you just took a test and you passed it. Right. So the support needs to continue. And we have very good ESL teachers, but content area teachers need to be very aware of um, what are the proficiency levels of the, of the students and what is the primary language of the students? What is the trajectory? How, you know, did, did they, they ever um, came as immigrants? Have they been uh, born and raised in the States and they just happen to be English learners and they have had many years of failure 
And sometimes they say, well, these kids don't, can't speak. Well, the question is, how many language learners opportunities do you provide in the classroom? How do you structure those conversations in the classroom? Yeah. Do you do that? How can we help you get there? So uh, it's no longer if I go to a chemistry teacher and I ask her, um, tell me about your ELs. You can no longer say, well, you know, the ESL teacher is down the, the hallway to the left. Yeah. And uh, or in many cases, it was October, I would be working with Contendera teachers and I would ask, tell me about your ELs. And they would say, they haven't given me the list or I don't know where the folder is. You know, we really need to know who they are, either sitting in our first um, uh class or second period or third period, who are they? What are the levels of proficiency? And how many language learning opportunities do I have in my classroom? And the reality, Tan, is that every student is the learner of the language of math, the learner of the language of science, the learner of the language of social studies. Every English speaker is a second language learner of the language that you're teaching in your content. Yes. You know, the, the academic vocabulary is taught by the math teacher or the science teacher or the social studies teacher. And I know you've you worked a lot with other colleagues of mine, like Dr. Fleener, who is really doing an excellent job uh, supporting teachers with the scaffolding of that science academic language that is so much so necessary. The issue of providing visuals, the issue of providing uh, graphic organizers is not the icing on the cake is it's a, a, a very important ingredient in your instruction. And it's gonna benefit much more than just your English learners. It's gonna benefit your students of poverty, the ones that have not been exposed to that academic language. Choral repetition of words is gonna be beneficial for them. The visual is gonna be beneficial for them. The opportunities to speak using complete sentences, using sentence stems is gonna be beneficial for them. So I think when we're looking at instruction and if we start looking at all of our English speakers as the learners of the language of our academic content areas, that is gonna help us really see that a lot of these practices are inclusive practices, yeah. that they're gonna be good for all of our students not just the one or two English learners that happen to be sitting in your classroom is much more than that. So that's, that's one of the, the areas of support that we give our, um, our teachers. And that's why the, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the seven steps to a language rich interactive classroom, that book that we have, that it's, it's an easy formula. To, that if you put it together, you can have, you can make these things happen. So um, I just, if I, I know time is, is uh, of essence here, but I just wanted to mention that one of uh, my, pride, uh, my pride and joys is my Toma la Palabra, um, Enlazando la Oralidad y la Lectoescritura. If you are teaching in the primary language, Please, please, we need to provide teachers with that primary language support. Resources in the primary language that are pedagogically uh, in nature, that have that, uh, those um, basic, the foundation of improving our own academic language are so important. 
uh, many times, and, and I'm sure you know, when you don't have the opportunity to speak that academic language on a daily basis, if you don't use it, you lose it. It doesn't matter if you grew up in another country speaking your primary language. And we provide a lot of instruction for our teachers in English, and then we expect them to teach in Spanish. And so that's so contradictory. When do they have the time to translate or to really develop that academic language? So I have been doing a lot of work with Toma La Palabra um, in a lot of corners of the United States and even outside of the United States. And it's been very welcome. Uh, there's very little instruction that we're providing to teachers in Spanish. They have an opportunity to read in Spanish, read, write, and create lessons. And it has a lot of uh, activities and talks about a lot of the research that has been done with our emerging bilingual students. The kids mainly that are born and raised in the United States that speak Spanish as their first language. So that book has been very well received and I am uh, always you know, very happy to provide that staff development for our bilingual teachers, dual language teachers in Spanish so they can practice the four domains of listening, speaking, reading, and writing to instruct kids using stellar practices when they are in their bilingual classrooms. Because right. we have bilingual classrooms by bilingual programs. Now we also have to have bilingual professional learning opportunities for the teachers who are providing that, right? It's the irony yes. of saying like, okay, teachers who speak Spanish go to an all English professional learning session. And yes. we're not going to provide the Spanish version of it. And that's what you're yes. going to, that's what you, like, Toma La Palabra has provided. It's sure. Provided. And it's, it's not a translation. It's a transadaptation. Yes. Because even though we have seven steps there or siete pasos, it's not necessarily a translation. You need to take into consideration the culture of your students. What is culturally appropriate? you know, literature that is culturally appropriate. You don't get the book that has been written in English and color the kid brown and then translate it. It has to be authentic literature. It has to be authentic professional development. It has to be authentic interactions in the classroom, teaching them what transfers and what doesn't transfer from one language to another, yeah. teaching them similarities and differences and creating that bridge that is so necessary for them to know that when you come into English instruction, you don't come as an empty vessel. Yes. You come in with a lot of foundation. All you need is labels in the other language because you already know how to read. You don't learn to read twice. You know how to read in your primary language. All you need is the labels in English. So all of that. And with that book, yes, I can teach teachers a lot of strategies, but I want to inspire them. I want to spark that energy, you know, I want them to go back to what inspired them to become teachers. I want them to have the heart. And one of the first pieces of the book is um, Buscar Mi Valor, which is find the value that you have as a teacher. Yes. Love yourself. The most important person in a, in a classroom is you, the teacher. If you love yourself and you love what you do, that will lead you to love your kids and love instruction. So my main goal in my job is to inspire teachers to be the best version that they can be when they're in a classroom. That's really my goal. 
And that's why, you know, my grandkids say, Guita or grandma, why are you doing that work? Well, it's because I still have the passion. Yes. And the moment I lose the passion, Tan, then I don't belong in this profession. But that's my number one thing, the passion that I have for the work that I do. I love the teachers. I love being with kids. And I love what I can do to inspire that one teacher that I'm going to face the day I go to coach them. Can I help them leave me as a different, better version of themselves? That's my goal in the work that I do. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm going to say whoever, if you are, when you listen to this podcast, you don't need coffee. You just need Dr. Lara. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. You're so inspiring. You're, you're, I could, you're, your passion is just overflowing in this podcast. And I could see it because it, it's, I think it becomes, it comes from 40 years of your work, right? 40 years of, of understanding, of fighting, of struggling for and advocating for kids and their families right? at, at the highest level, at the state level, at the district level. I guess I want to ask for you this question, like what, after 40 years of doing this work, what do you wish you, you knew when you first started that you know now? I think I wish I knew that I could do it. Yes. Because you come in with so many insecurities and you always second guess yourself as a student. So my message to teachers is Tell your kids that they can do it. Yes. Si because there's so many things going against you. You're an immigrant. You don't speak English. You, if you open your mouth, they're going to know that you're not adequate. So that lack of security, it's there. And there's always going to be someone, Tan, who is going to remind you that you don't speak English well, right. that you have an accent. There's always someone. And this happened to me very recently. Very recently, I'm talking about in August. Wow. During the pandemic, we were getting together with neighbors. And they know that when I speak, of course, my Mexicanity is going to come out. I am going to speak Spanish. And uh, there was this one person and came to me and told me, you know, friends always tell the truth and I am your friend. Oh no. And I'm gonna tell you, you've been in this country for so long, it's time to assimilate. <gasps> it's long overdue. Tan, I am a strong person. I have been successful. And that night I cried myself to sleep. And you're talking about 2020. And that's the line that this person used. It's time to assimilate, is long overdue. And I'm a friend and friends tell the truth. And that is a real story. But you know what? That gave me ammunition. And that was a reminder. Someone is being hurt yeah. on a daily basis. So don't lose that passion. Continue supporting your kids because there's always someone who's going to come and remind you that you're not good enough. 
and that can be a neighbor who thinks they're your friend. Yes, absolutely. And they really believe that they're doing you a service. I'm shocked. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I can't believe that. In 2020, yes. and you know that you're neighbors with them. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I I could go on for another like four hours. I, I know that this, <laughs> <laughs> though this pod, though this episode is really for school leaders, you really have spoken to every single staff member, every single uh, stakeholder who touches a child's life. And, and, and really this is for educators, paraprofessionals, secretaries, for school leaders, for administrators, for principals, for everyone, for, for legislators, right? It's really for everyone. You really spoke- And for parents. Yes. Parents cannot be, should not be ashamed of speaking their first language to their students. Right. And parents should not think that putting kids in English only education is the answer. That's what's, you know, a big message too. Because uh, I know I, I work with lots of international schools and sometimes their parents will tell me, oh yeah, we have parents who speak only English at home with their kid. And I'm like, oh, we need to change that. Yes. That fast, right? Let's end the podcast with this. I have three questions to end the podcast with. It's a metaphor, it's called traffic light teaching. So red light is something that you would ask teachers to stop doing, right? And yellow light is something you ask, how can we slow down our practice, our teaching? And green light is what can we do as much as possible with students? So you can start anywhere with one of those lights. Okay, I think the red light is to stop telling kids to stop speaking their, using their primary language in, during instruction. Right. Uh, I think that's detrimental. I think that that sends the message uh, that you're not good enough. And no, they're not talking about you necessarily. I think that's the fear. Yes. So allow them to use their primary language to negotiate and get to the second language. Right. Uh, the yellow light, allow yourself permission to learn. Yes. Uh, as a teacher some, or as an administrator, we want everything done overnight. Yes. Things are changing. Our demographics continue to change and you don't become an expert overnight. Right. Always reach for excellence, but not perfection. And in order for us to reach excellence, we're going to need to give ourselves permission to learn new practices and get out of our um, soapbox. You know, I've done it for so many years. Uh, and change is inevitable. Right. Change is what's constant. And we need to be open to change because English learners is no longer, I don't want to work in a school district where there's English learners. Eng English learners are everywhere. Yes. So allowing us to permission to learn, uh, to become better teachers. I think that's important. What will be your green light to principals and school leaders? Continue providing that support and that those, the opportunity to learn on the job. Right. I think we really need to scaffold instruction for teachers. We need to, uh, Think twice as to how we're going to provide that support. 
Is it really because we've been doing those trainings at the beginning of the year with 100, 150 teachers, and that's why we continue doing it? Uh, how can we really have a movement of continue providing that staff development that is ongoing on the job and try to personalize it? Um, that's really, really important. Coaching has really helped teachers grow and become experts in the field. So that's one of the pieces that is really, really important. I, I know that when I go back and edit this, I am just going to continue to beam for hours after listening to it. I'm beaming now. I don't think I can go to bed now. Oh, I know it's late where you are, Tan. All I can say is a big thank you, mijito, for the opportunity you have given me to use this platform to really share the passion that I have and uh, be heard by so many educators, parents, teachers, staff members. And I hope that my message um, is fruitful, that people can benefit, and if anything, they can rekindle the fire that being in education is a privilege oh. and we do make a difference in the life of students. You have inspired more than more people than you realize just with this conversation. For one, Thank I am you. inspired. Thank you so much. I invite you to rate this podcast and leave a comment. Each episode takes three to four hours to record and edit. So your comments make all the hours worth it and your reviews will help educators like you find the podcast now onto our recap dr lara redefines leadership as anyone who cares about kids if you are a teacher and you care about kids you are a school leader and as a school leader you can have a lot of influence on the culture of your school around language learners as school leaders, one of our job is to make sure that the students who come as multilinguals leave our schools as multilinguals. Being multilingual, multiliterate, multicultural enriches not just their lives, but our school community. Another thing that school leaders have to do is provide continuous professional learning opportunities for their content teachers or teachers who are not language specialists. Teaching language learners require highly specialized skills that cannot be acquired in a six hour workshop. They need continuous job embedded professional learning. And the best way we can do that is by having language specialists pair up with content teachers or non-language specialists. What can they do? Co-plan, co-teach, co-assess, co-reflect. The reason this collaboration is so important is because there is technical language in every single content that we have students learn. There's technical language in math, in science, in history, in PE, in drama, in art, et cetera, et cetera. If content teachers can acquire the skills to teach the academic language of their content, it benefits all students, both monolingual and multilingual, Content teachers are responsible for teaching the discipline-specific language in their courses because all of us are, quote-unquote, 
second language learners when it comes to academic content. No one is born with knowing how to talk about math like mathematicians. No one is born to talk about biology like biologists. It's technical language that must be taught. And this is what it means to be a teacher of language. As language specialists, we can become school leaders by supporting our colleagues in their efforts to teach the discipline-specific language of their courses. And when content teachers do this, we provide equitable learning experiences. In the next episode, we'll have another legend in the field, Dr. Debbie Zakarian, join us to share about her co-authored book called Beyond Crisis. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Never do.